0: Well, good morning. We welcome you to the chapel, especially if you're visiting with us for the first time. We're really glad you're here. If you're here for the second or third time, we're glad that you're here too. But special welcome if this is your first time with us. Um, Before I pray, I just want to give you a couple quick announcements, things to be keeping in mind. Um, We're going to be having a Christmas choir performance this year at Christmas. And the first practice begins October 17th. Now, there's only one request, and this is not to exclude. It's just because time is limited. We would ask that people that participate have done something with a choir at some point in the past. Okay, so that may be last year you were in the choir, whatever. So please, if you have any kind of singing experience, we would love to have you involved. October 17th, that will meet right after the Sunday, about 15 minutes after the Sunday morning service. Anything else on that, Don? Is that good? Good, all right, great. The second thing, we began Sunday school today, and of course it's not too late to jump in. You can jump in at any particular point. We'd love to have you join us. Um, and we we really are still in need of some Sunday school teachers with uh, junior age children. So if you can help out with that, or or if you'd be willing to be in a part of a rotation, that would be really, really helpful for us. So Scott, who is our, kind of our lead usher, I don't see him in here right now, but you, everybody knows Scott. If you, if you would prayerfully consider that, just talk to Scott and say, look, I'll pray about it, I'll think about it. No promises, I'll do a rotation, I'll do it every week, whatever. He would love to talk to you. Um, so if you could look for Scott afterwards if you're willing to help us there. And lastly... This evening, we're starting up uh, the series. Again, Pastor James will be starting up the series entitled Relational Wisdom. It starts at 7 o'clock this evening. Goes James, James told me it goes one hour and 15 minutes, and then they stop. So it won't keep you long longer than that. By 8.15, you're done. You can either take it here in the church in person, or you can go on to either the email or, the, or, or onto our website And you can click on the Zoom link there, and you can take it through Zoom. So you can either do it through Zoom, you know, at home, sitting on a couch or whatever you want to do, or you can actually do it here in person. We encourage you to do it in person, but we're happy to have you by Zoom also. All right? I think that's all the announcements uh, to keep keep in mind. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice again um, more than anything else that we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We would pray that your spirit would do his good work in our lives as we sing together today, as we hear your word preached to us, that internal work of revealing areas where we need to repent so we might know the joy and freedom that comes through that repentance and then know your transformative work that makes us more like your son. Father, that's our prayer. Help us to look for opportunities after church to touch the life of somebody else by showing them we love and we care by spending time with them. And so, Lord, we want to commit this day to you. We want to commit our lives to you afresh, praying that you would work. We pray especially, Lord, for those in our midst who are struggling with different um, physical problems. Lord, I think of Diana, I think of Carol, and I don't want to exclude anybody. We, there's, there's a whole list of individuals who are struggling, relatives that are struggling. And in each one of those cases, Father, may your presence be known powerfully in their life. We would pray for healing, but a deep sense of who you are, drawing people to yourself in the gospel of Christ. And it's because of Jesus we can pray any of this. In his name, amen.
2: Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Listen, when darkness tries When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I owe When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. There's power that can break. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. Power in your name, power in your name, this power that can break off every chain, this power that can empty out a grave, this resurrection power. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in Your
1: There's power that can break off every chain.
2: There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name, power in your name. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your Are you hurting? And are you hurting and broken within? And overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? And Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open. Precious Jesus Christ. Leave behind. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. The precious blood of Jesus Christ, oh come to the altar, the fathers of
1: Bear your cross.
2: Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's. Come to the old...
1: Yes, Lord, this morning we give you praise, and glory, and honor. We know that we can run to you. Whether this is the first time coming to know you, Lord, or we run back to you like the prodigal son who's resisted our whole life. But, God, we know that there's mercy and grace waiting for us. We trust you, God. We sing songs this morning because we love you because we want to glorify and honor you and we're thankful for what you've done for us and thankful is too mediocre of a word to even express our gratitude to you, Lord. Thank you for taking care of our deepest need, our sin need, and welcoming us into your family, Lord, by just us believing in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord and confessing with our mouth and believing with our heart, Lord. You take us in, God. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace and thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for us in our place. God, thank you that we can sing together about these things this morning. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our congregation, Lord. We ask you to be with us with them now as they hear your word from Pastor Tim. And please use him, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
3: Amen. Well, it's good to have each of you here this morning. I'll confess that my struggle on Sundays, when I am uh, filling the pulpit, uh, it's—I have this struggle with not being able to sing as strongly as I would like to, which may be a blessing to some close to me. But uh, I just—I become conscious, like you still have to preach, so take it easy. Uh, so it's just a—it's a great joy uh, to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, there's a sheet of verses that uh, if you need it, just raise your hand. Uh, it's good. The effort is to uh, kind of minimize the amount of running around that you have to do in the Bible this morning. And also you can take notes uh, on the sheet because uh, we're going to be looking at a number of different verses. So um, just raise your hands again. There's some over this way, I think, over that way, Bill, and up front. Okay, so let's... Uh, Let's jump in this morning as the brothers pass out uh, that for you. Just as they go by, raise your hand and they'll acknowledge your, uh, your need. So we're going through a series in the book of Proverbs. And James did a beautiful job last week of introducing us to this study on wisdom uh, by covering the topic of anger. Doug will be covering the topic of friendship in the near future. And today I'm going to be dealing with the topic of relational brokenness. Uh, Can I move beyond brokenness in my relationships, and if so, how? All right, the book of Proverbs becomes an interesting treasure of wisdom that helps us with navigating the difficult circumstances that indeed are part of our lives. No one lives a life free from these struggles. No one lives a life free from injury. Oh, children can be dismissed to junior church. Like I just wounded my wife, okay? (laughs) My wife's back there waving at me, and I'm ignoring her. Hope that's not true all the time. So, Chuck Swindoll gives this kind of introduction to the book of Proverbs. He says the writers of Proverbs recognized the variety of circumstances that we face in our lives. And the writers of Proverbs provide us with principles to apply in a variety of situations. Where the moral rules don't directly apply. Okay? So Proverbs is dealing with the what if, those circumstances that are not directly addressed in the Ten Commandments. All right? It it deals with how I take the principles that are captive in the Ten Commandments and kind of apply them to my life and to specific circumstances that are not addressed by the specific moral commands. Don't lie. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Okay, those are the specific moral commands. The book of Proverbs helps us to understand how those big truths find practical application in the variety of circumstances that we face in our life. You need to get wisdom in circumstances like this. Who should I marry? what career should I choose? How should I respond to a false accusation? Should I help my child who is struggling financially? How do I handle disappointment? Okay, so what, what we need to do is acknowledge that there are a lot of issues that are not directly addressed in the moral code of Scripture. But there's wisdom in the book of Proverbs that helps me reach into those areas where they they feel gray, they feel dark, and the purpose of Proverbs is to bring light into circumstances so that I can say, okay, now I better understand how I should respond to this or that circumstance in my life. In the realm of relationships, the truth is that all of us have high hopes. When you got your first job, you had high hopes for your career, and then you found out that there are people called co-workers. My family owned a hardware store. I tell people the hardware business is great, except for the customers. (laughs) Sometimes people say to me, why did you go into the ministry? And I said, because I was tired of dealing with people. All right, you got to let that settle in for a second. The truth is we all move into circumstances like preparing for marriage. You hope for and you want peace, but you find the reality of relational brokenness and struggle. You're having a child, which can bring some of life's most abundant and overwhelming moments of joy. But newborns turn into toddlers, and toddlers turn into pre people. And then into teenagers who know everything. And your dream is shattered. It's the reality that we all face and that we all go through. But the truth is that I can't live without relationships. I was built for community. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And there are times, I have to be honest with you, when I would rather isolate from people... Because relationships can be tricky and often can be difficult. And yet they are crucial to our lives. And yet Proverbs says they can be profoundly disappointing to the degree that, as Proverbs says, hope deferred. The, what you long for in your relationships and don't get can make you heart sick. It can break your heart. The dream that you long for Has been shattered. Here's the truth. No relationships are perfect. No marriages are perfect. No churches are perfect. No workplaces are perfect. And if you find a perfect church and join it, you will ruin it. Okay? That's just the truth. The question that the Bible addresses is how can I, in a broken world, as a broken man, how can I minimize relational dysfunction? If the relationship breaks, is there hope for restoration? Can we get it back together in our friendship, in our church relationships, in our marriage, where there is deep wounding and hurt? Is it possible to move forward from things that tend to promote a sense of ill will and disappointment? So what I want to do is answer the question, can I recover from relational brokenness? The, the, and my answer is, the question I want to ask to that idea of relational brokenness is, how do I overcome it? How do I move beyond it using the wisdom that's, that is present in God's Word? And I think the first answer I would give you is this. Remember that brokenness happens. Okay, so that it is not disappointment in your marriage, but it is... Here it is in my marriage or in my workplace or in my parent-child relationships. It's not abnormal to have struggles. It's part of living, I need to remind my wife of this, it's part of living with a sinful man. All right, there, There are going to be struggles and difficulties and things that we need to work through because I'm a broken person. That should never be an excuse for bad behavior. But it should always be the reality that we live within. And the need for repair in broken relationships is constant. If, if my brokenness that I will admit to is unaddressed, it will always go badly. There is an inevitable direction that the water or the tide of life is going to pull you in if you don't deal with relational brokenness. And the first verse I want to look at is Proverbs 10 and verse 18. It says this: it says, hiding hatred makes you a liar. Slandering others makes you a fool. Now, I, in, in, on my sheet, I wrote under that proverb, it, it builds with emphasis. There's two statements, and it gives emphasis. The next verse we're going to look at says a positive and a negative. It's a contrastive parallelism, whereas this first verse is a. Uh, I'm going to, Doug, you correct me, after the service, not in front of everybody. When it, when it layers two things that essentially say the same thing but ramp up, I'm going to, for the sake of our discussion today, I'm going to call it an emphatic parallelism. Okay? Meaning it, the, the, the tone of it is to emphasize the truth that it's stating. That's what happens in the first proverb that we look at. Now, it's interesting when you look at the word hate in Proverbs... Because our tendency in the American scene is to think of hatred as something that is very loud, it's very angry, it's very animated. Okay? We think of screaming when we think of hatred. Okay? In the Hebrew world, and in Proverbs particularly, the idea of, of, of hatred leans more towards a, 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 a deep sense of ill will or a desire for harm. Okay, it's I have been so wounded that I long to see the other person pay a price for what they've done to me. Okay, so, so hate is a lack of control. Hate in Proverbs leans more towards this idea of nursing a wound or a grudge. Now the question that comes up is how does that move from the wound to a sense of ill will or a desire for that person's harm. And if, if you've ever been damaged, which I'm going to assume that every person in this room at some point along the road of life can remember a time when disappointment, frustration, and hurt were overwhelming. If that's happened to you, here's what you learned. It, it does not tend to produce good outcomes, especially when you nurture it and you nourish it. Okay? it It will... Corrupt it is a corrosive tendency when I harbor that hurt when I hold it in, this proverb says it makes you a liar, meaning you will tend to distort the reality of the harm that was done to you. You will tend to emphasize it and distort it to make the other person pay by the people that you talk to about them okay you'll it, it'll'll it'll, it'll warp reality. And then he says, slandering others makes you a fool. It makes you a liar who distorts to destroy. And when it happens, it is both embarrassing and dangerous because it can become deeply negative. I find that the only thing I can want for someone is bad, is negative. I want them to suffer. So hiding hatred makes me a liar. Slandering others makes you a fool. Meaning I'm not responding wisely to the circumstance. Proverbs 11:12 12 helps us all to un, also to understand how, how brokenness can deeply and negatively affect us. Here's what he says. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor But a man of understanding holds his tongue. Okay? A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. Here's the way the message translation tries to capture this thought. It says, mean-spirited slander is heartless. Okay? Meaning, if I drift into the mindset of desiring to damage people, I must put aside my heart. And when I put aside my heart, a level of ugliness will emerge that is willing to slander other people and to destroy them with a verbal sword. The idea, I think, when you take these two verses together is that this sense of ill will that is is inevitable in a broken world and in broken relationships, that sense of ill will... Prompts slander, spreading bad things openly and recklessly, whether it's true or false, is not really important. What's important is that I can take that brokenness that I am harboring and communicate it effectively to others to damage the person who has wounded me. Okay, and the the consequences of that approach are devastating. What does the rest of the verse say? A man of understanding a person that is moving in discernment, that is that is living wisely, what do they do? They hold their tongue. Okay, just so think about that. When someone wounds you, what is your first impulse? Who are you inclined to call first, and why? And why them? Okay? Why do you want to share that with somebody? I'm going to tell you why. Because that kind of harm breeds ill will in my heart, and that ill will leads to me distorting the event that happened or communicating it for very poor and bad reasons. Okay, so the, 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 pro, the guy that writes the proverb says to us, a man of understanding holds his tongue. He understands the danger that is present when he or she is wounded, Okay, usually when I get wounded, what do I wanna do? I wanna victimize, because as a victim, people give me permission to say things that they should never allow me to say to them about the other person. Okay? So don't allow yourself to get turned into a victim to become a person overrun with ill will, because when you do, your tongue will break loose and slander which can either be false or true, shared to damage reputation, will become normative in your life, and it will always have a devastating effect on your heart personally. You take the wound that you received, and you make it worse by dwelling on it in a way that is not helpful. There is a predictable direction, an inevitable danger, when we nurse a grudge, a wound, And cultivate this idea of ill will. Jesus addresses this in the gospel of Matthew, doesn't he? Matthew 5 and verse 21. When he's talking about the command, thou shalt not kill. He says, whoever is angry with someone. Some translations use the word, whoever hates someone has violated the spirit of the command, thou shalt not murder. Why? Because all murder starts with some degree of disregard for others. It may be born out of resentment towards that other person, and when I cultivate and I feed and nourish that sense of ill will that I have, that hatred that I feel can be something becomes something much more dangerous there's a sense in which Jesus actually equates hatred and murder it 's not to say that both are criminal, but it is to say that before God both are equally devastating okay so that 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 's the kind of the thrust of this first part. Don't allow hatred to take root in your heart. Don't allow ill will to take root in your heart because it will end up going badly. The Proverbs 6 says this. It's the verse that ran through my mind the whole time I prepared the sermon. Can a man take fire into his lap and not be burned? Can I go out to my fire pit, take a shovel full of embers, put them on my lap and say, I'm doing really good. Okay, the answer is obvious. And that's the way that proverb is set up. It states a very obvious thing in a very simplistic way. I cannot take the hot coals of anger, and it will accumulate them in my life without personal damage. And so the first thing the psalmist is saying is, remember that brokenness happens, and when it does in your relationships, it tends to go very poorly. Be aware of that. Give yourself a serious and stern warning about that. Secondly, so be aware that that brokenness happens. Secondly, avoid natural yet foolish sinful responses to emotional injury. You know, the most damaging things that are done to us are not typically things that are done to us physically, although I I understand that there's a whole category of deep brokenness in our culture, in the realm of sexuality, I understand that. I'm not that. I am not trying to put in the same box. What I'm saying is that most of the struggles that we go through, most of the damage that is done to us, tends to be in the realm of emotional injury. I think at some level, all offenses, all abuses, ending up leaving us emotionally broken and damaged. And the question is, how do I? How do I move beyond that? And as I say that, I, I know in this congregation uh, that, that that exists, that that has happened to people's lives. People that are represented here have walked through deep, deep abuse and brokenness. The question is, how do, I, how do I move beyond that? How do I move through that? What does God want me to do with that? And God is very specific in the book of Proverbs about how he wants you to deal with that. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. He who covers an offense promotes love. Whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Now I want to do something real quick. I want to distinguish between acts that are criminal, okay? And then the injuries that occur in the context of relationships, God has a way that criminal activity must be addressed for a culture to survive. Okay? So when there is that kind of brokenness and damage, it must be reported to the God-ordained authority so that it can be taken care of properly. So I want to make sure I am very clear on that as I approach this verse. I think this verse is talking about the broader normal issues of relational struggle that we deal with so he says he who covers an offense promotes love but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends now that is a contrastive parallelism okay it's giving me two different roads you can go down one is foolish hurtful devastating and one is wise So the first thought of how do I I avoid sinful responses to emotional injury? First of all, don't amplify people's sin. Okay? Don't seek to make much of it to win a hearing for yourself and sympathy for yourself. Because as you do that, as you participate in that slander, in that in that critique and gossip of other people, it is affecting your heart. In fact, it is exposing your heart. And it is corrupting your heart. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? So what, 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 what the writer here is encouraging us to is, is to, to avoid the sinful tendency to want to spread bad things. Okay, there is just there is, there is something in us that loves to get a morsel, a damaging morsel, and we want to pass it on to others to harm the object of our ill will. Okay, and it is a devastating and dangerous and predictable pattern that occurs in the life of individuals. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, I think, helps helps us with this text, and I think Paul's probably referring back to it. It says, love does not keep a record of injuries. It doesn't save up and pile up offenses. Why? Because it knows that it inhibits and may destroy the capacity to love others genuinely. So if I hold it in and then spread it abroad... If I I sow it like seed, it will grow. And when it grows, the harvest for your life will have devastating consequences. So the interesting word in this proverb is, he who covers an offense. So the question then becomes, what is covering? Does covering mean I never go and address that wrong with an individual? I do not believe that that is the thrust of this text. It may mean that there are some offenses that are not major enough that they even need to be addressed. It may be inadvertent on the part of someone that you were wounded by them, but they had no intent to wound. So I may say to myself, I know they didn't mean that because I know them. I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to talk about it to others. I'm not going to make much of it. I'm not going to amplify it by coddling it, nursing it, and talking about it. To cover means to refuse to make much of or to repeat in a slanderous or distorted fashion. You know, a lot of times we can keep legends about people's past alive by bad, harmful discussion. And I believe that's what this proverb is warning us against. If you're a parent, let me say this so that I am clear. It does not that we ignore, mean that we ignore destructive patterns in the life of our children. That is not what it means to cover an offense. Your child needs to know the truth. They need to know when their behavior is unacceptable. It needs to be addressed for their benefit and their good, and to not address it is not loving them. Okay? But in the realm of relationships, there are times when we need to be cautious about the approach that we are using. It's one thing for me if I'm wounded to honestly seek advice, but there is, like I may go to Doug Feintbiter and say, so-and-so said this, how do you think I should respond? But here's what I need to understand. There is a small margin of error when my sharing with Doug... And how I say it, if I have already cultivated some degree of ill will towards that person, a heartlessness towards that person, I may overstep, and I need to be very careful. And a friend like Doug should say, Tim, I think you're out of line on that. Even though I'm going to him, I'm the victim. Okay? He has every right to say, you need to be careful about that. Why? Because Proverbs says it is an honorable thing. It is a wise thing to cover an offense, to not let it spread like wildfire to deal with it through the appropriate channels so that there can be healing and forgiveness. The truth is that in my pride, I tend to want to make much of your failures. Right? Because that's kind of what creeps up in us, isn't it? There's a sense of, I would never do that. I can't believe they said that to me. Okay? And we start to, we start to elevate and we feel offended Because we're allowing pride to creep into the analysis of the injury that has been received. That will always lead to a bad place. It's why at the end, in Proverbs 7, the writer of Proverbs says that God hates seven things. The beginning and the end are the loaded ones. God hates a proud look. And he hates the person that sows discord among brothers. Okay, It's very interesting. So when I'm addressing that hurt, make sure you don't amplify it because if you amplify it, you may slide into the category of people that God says, I do not have pleasure in how you're living because what you are doing is seeking to injure someone with a proud look or I am spreading dissension in an effort to destroy Okay, so if I'm going to avoid foolish responses to emotional injury when it comes, not if, I need to be sure that I don't amplify people's sin. Secondly, I need to be sure that I don't gloat in and rejoice in their struggle. And this is a very fascinating text, twenty four seventeen. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and turn away his anger from them. You know, there are some things that help me to understand if I'm dealing with the sense of ill will or brokenness that needs repair in my heart. One is that I long for or find pleasure in the struggle that others are facing. Or, to say it another way, if they're happy... I can't be happy. But if they're unhappy, then I can be happy. Okay, there's this prideful sense of finding it satisfying that my opponent, the person who has wounded me, is now struggling. There is this distorted sense of gratification that I can get from that. I think if all of, her, all of us are being honest, maybe except for my wife, because I've never seen this in my wife, and I mean that honestly. My wife has a very unique, God-given temperament. Uh, he made her that way because she's the only person on the planet that could be suitably married to me. <laughs> she doesn't do this. I do this. I have this temptation, and I believe that probably most of us do. You long for and find pleasure in their struggle. And you subtly exalt yourself. And you, you kind of take the position of God. And you look at the damage that is coming to them. And you, you approve of it. You find satisfaction in their suffering. And I want to tell you, the book of Proverbs warns you strongly against that mindset. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Let alone your mate. Or your child, or your co-worker, or your neighbor. Don't gloat. Don't find satisfaction. How dangerous it is. And I think it's interesting that the end of this verse says, in a sense, you invite the displeasure of God Himself. The idea, I think, of this statement, He will turn his the Lord will be displeased and will turn his anger away from them. He, he will. He will be displeased with you. You will forfeit his blessing. And the wise person is going to say, God, I've been injured. Show me the way through this that honors you so that I don't have a heart that is foolish harboring something that can destroy me. Okay, we, we need to be so careful. As a Christian, I think this one's kind of easy. Remember that God does not hold your sin against you. Because if he did, I would be damned. If God gave me what I deserved, I would be lost. But through Christ, he offers me what I don't deserve, even though I, with high hand, have sinned against him. His love through Christ... Is amazing. And so we are called to forgive as we have been forgiven, not to gloat and rejoice in the struggle of others. And the third thought is this, the way that I avoid foolish responses, don't plot and seek revenge. By the way, all three of these are foolish responses, okay? And then we're gonna move on to the wise responses in a moment. Proverbs 24, 28 to 29. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause or use your lips to deceive. Don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I will get even with them. Wow. Okay, I read that proverb. I'm like, that doesn't sound like something that's 3,000 years old. That sounds like the world I live in. That sounds like my autobiography. <laughs> Don't plot and seek revenge. The context clearly is an injury has been received. I am so injured that I feel justified in exaggeration, distortion, and perjury. So that when I have a chance to say what they've done, I kind of go full blown. I extrapolate. I exacerbate the situation. I make it far worse than the reality because what I want more than anything is payback. The hymn writer said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. This realm of discussion, not, I'm not preaching a sermon to you. I'm talking to us. Because this is something that all of us in a deeply broken world have to wrestle with. And, and we need to learn what it is to live wisely in the circumstances that are not directly addressed by the moral code, by the Ten Commandments. But they are painful, and they are deep, and they are real, and they are often pervasive. God says, don't plan or seek revenge. Don't root for and plan for their demise. And in the picture, it's, it's, you went to court, and they come in, and you lie to destroy them. Because you feel safe in your lie. And that's the idea of this text. That it so distorts and so breaks that I become foolish in my relational behavior. If you look down a little further, Romans 12, verses 17 to 19 say this. Do not repay evil for evil to anyone. Be careful to do what is right in the sight of everybody. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, as to your role, be at peace with everyone. And verse 19 is clear and strong. My friends, do not take revenge. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to repay, to avenge. I will repay says the Lord. Now here's what I know is clear in this text. God expressly prohibits revenge or the word payback. Here's what's fascinating. Some of the most popular movies in America have payback. I, I, I'm gonna, I'll confess a sin. Okay. I love the movie Taken. Okay. You know why I loved it? Well, I like action stuff. Okay. So that, that, was, that was good. Action drama tense. But I loved it when those guys got theirs. Like, and there, there's a reason that those movies gain a high degree of popularity because they resonate with the sinful hearts of humanity. There is something in you that wants to see that guy get what is coming to him. And what he does in the theater, there will be applause. And at one level, how sad. I mean, I love justice, and I, one day Christ is going to come, and when Christ comes, there will be the one who is faithful and true will be the judge, and he will never be bribed, he will never be deceived, and true justice will come. That is why, that hope is why, Revelation 19, I am told by God, do not take revenge. Because what does he say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I can tell you one role that I should never have in a movie, and that is God's. It's a role that we tend to take in our lives. When we become the judge and jury, when we exact out of people, pain for the pain that they've caused us, we act with revenge, we have slipped into a role that we are not qualified to fill. And the result will be, when I operate in the realm of incompetence, incompetence will be the result, and foolishness and destruction. So when I step up and I say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm going to tell them. No one messes with me like that. No one can say that about my wife, about my kids, about this, about that. Things that at, at, at one level become irrelevant as you go down the list. But we say, I'm going to play the role of God. Forgetting that God expressly for his children prohibits that which takes me to my worst person here's the struggle that we have then okay because now you're like okay but do they ever get theirs and the answer is yes apart from the grace of God apart from true confession yes what does he say God says vengeance is mine I will repay which really is a call to do what trust me God says to you, he says to me, trust me in that circumstance where you have been damaged and you want to fly back in their face. Get out of my way. Give me elbow room so I can do the things that I do. And I will do it well and justly without ever exaggerating, without ill will. It would be a fully just recompense. Folks, do you understand that at the end of the day in Revelation, that is Christian hope? that the wrongs that have been done in this world will one day meet the just wrath of a holy God who is held back, but one day will do what is right. Because that's what justice demands, and that's at the heart of who God is. You know, when I sin against God, and when I'm broken, God doesn't make me pay as his son. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him, Christ, to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. That on the cross, Christ took all of my slander, all of my gossip, all of my ill will, all of my distortion of truth, he took it on himself and offers me the hope of forgiveness so that the wrath of God is satisfied because my sin is justly punished in the person of Christ. And as one songwriter said, God the just is satisfied to look at him and pardon me. Forgiven because Christ stood in my place, not because... I'm better than other people. So if I'm going to recover relational health, I need to remember that brokenness is present. I need to avoid the foolish responses to emotional injury and then last real quickly, how do I wisely encourage repair? How do I wisely encourage repair? Repair. I think what's called for here is an active response in Proverbs 25. The text warns about, warns against passivity, right? It, it, it it warns against withholding emotionally. Like, I'm just going to let them suffer by withdrawing from them, by isolation, which is sometimes a tactic that we do. Sometimes you may need to do that for a season so that when you go to them, you're not violating the other three commands or warnings. Okay, so sometimes, some time may need to pass for you to settle down and cool down so that you can do the right thing before God or the wise thing for your life. How do I wisely encourage repair? How do I defeat ill will in broken relationships? Chapter 24 says this, or I'm sorry, uh, 25. All right, let's go back to 24:17. Okay, don't rejoice when your enemy falls; don't be happy when they stumble. The idea there is is a gloating, a sense of self-justification. Okay, there's a, there's a tendency to say, "See, I was right. They're getting what they deserve. I'm I'm justified." All right, and there's this subtle sense in which pride can creep in. So one of the things I need to do if I am wisely encouraging repair, I need to stay humble. I need to remember the admonition of Jesus who warned against seeing a speck of sawdust in someone's eye while I have a a two by four protruding from mine saying, let me help you with that speck of dust. There's a sense of pride that allows me to live with sinful tendencies that I don't address while I go to someone else and say, let me help you with the struggles that you have. All right, there's a sense of pride there that Jesus strongly and boldly confronts and calls us to avoid. I think Galatians 6 also goes after this a little bit. In verse 1 it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you that are spiritual, restore him gently, but watch yourself so that you're not tempted. And the idea is, do that work of helping someone with a spirit of meekness, with a spirit of humility, aware of your own sinfulness and your own sinful tendencies, aware of your own ill will, so that when you go to them, you can genuinely be of help. The idea, broadly speaking in that text, is that I come with a humble heart, because Proverbs also says, God opposes the proud, but He gives help to the humble. If I want to help a friend who's struggling, the best thing I can do is go to them with a humble, Christ-like heart and seek repair, not out of desire to punish them, out of an exalted sense of self-righteousness, but as a sinner speaking to a sinner. One of the things I teach parents in, 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 in teaching a class on parenting is that you need to approach your child as what you are, a sinner in need of a Savior. It will change how you correct them. Because you will realize that you are a broken person coming to another broken person trying to help them find, repair where you found it first. Right? That's the job. And so the text encourages us very strongly. Guard your heart against pride because God opposes it. But he gives help to the humble. So if I'm going to approach, stay humble and then just this thought. Overcome evil with good. I told you my natural tendency... I'll just confess that my natural tendency is to want to make someone hurt if they've hurt me. It's when I'm out of touch with what God wants, when I'm walking in my flesh, that's who Tim Hoff is. If you're ever sitting at a green light in front of me and it turns green and you don't move. <laughs> I, is anybody else struggling? Like, I'm telling you at the most basic level. I'm late because of my decisions. I'm behind someone at the light and it turns green and they don't move. So that I can get out of my problem. I, I, I feel a sinful sense of agitation. When I just am being polite, I just give a toot. You know what I do. If, <laughs> there, there's something about it, like, yeah, I got him. It's like, that is so stupid. But you watch that, right? That road rage is born out of pride. How dare you? You know, I'll tell you an incident that I didn't plan to tell you about. And this, this is on the more serious side. We lived on Route 476 uh, near harleysville uh, Montgomery County Interchange. There was a guy following a girl. He was driving a Dodge truck, Silver. Somehow he got irritated with her. And he hit the back corner of her bumper. Flipped her car. And killed her. Okay, the reason I know that is because the state police came to the store, the hardware store I grew up in where I didn't like people. <laughs> he asked us to look at surveillance video, looked at surveillance video, boom, there he is, buying silver spray paint to cover his brokenness. Because I want to tell you something. It's easy to look at that. I would never to be to have a sense of self exalted pride. I want to tell you something. You be very careful. If you harbor ill will and try to make people pay, don't tell me what you're not capable of. Because God tells me what I am capable of. If I hate someone, it can go very badly. That's a seed that's planted that will turn into something. And it will not be pretty. And it will not be helpful. Overcome instead evil with good. Proverbs 25, 21. The last verse I'll read. If your enemies are hungry. And folks, I want you to notice the word is not friends. The word is enemies. People who are actively seeking your demise. And destruction. And perhaps distortion. If your enemy's hungry. Give them food to eat. If they're thirsty, give them water to drink. And that's unqualified. I hate that. That's unqualified. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon their head. That is not, I get to burn them. That is, they will feel a sense of shame, a heat of shame that will lead to restoration. Because that's the God-given goal of all that we do in response to brokenness in relationships. Is that we would, by God's grace, seek to be reconcilers like Christ reconciled us. That at all costs, we would love those that oppose us. So that the gospel of Christ might be known clearly to a world that so desperately needs to see it. And I'm going to tell you something. When you start to live a humble life, overcoming evil with good, your platform for witness will be clearly established. Your opportunity to share Jesus will increase when you stop paying people back. Your marriage will speak more loudly. Your relationship with your children will speak more loudly. It will begin to proclaim. The crossworker of Christ is our hope. Let's close with this thought. There is hope for relational healing, there is the strong possibility of getting past brokenness because of Christ if I choose wisely. If I choose foolishly, I can almost guarantee you, you will only deepen the pain. And the person that has offended you, you will only deepen the ill will in your heart by attacking and distorting and destroying and discussing things that should not fall from your lips. Jesus said, you have heard it said that I say love your, heard it said love your neighbor, quoting from the book of Numbers, I believe. But I say to you, love your enemy, love your disappointing mate, love your frustrating child, love your rebellious, selfish teenager, your ill-tempered dad, your malicious mom, your mean-spirited and dis- dishonest co-worker. Love them. Love them. Love them like Christ loved all those that turned their back on him on the eve of his crucifixion. Love them. Let the, let the love of Christ that is manifested through the cross deeply impact your heart when you are frustrated, when you are broken, when you are hurt, when you are wounded. Let the love of Christ just be amplified in your heart. Get to the cross. And remember that in spite of the fact that you are and were a rebel, he moved in your direction to rescue you from your rebellion, not against others, but against him. So that he could bring you into his family and change your life forever. Ephesians 4.32 leads us into the Lord's table this morning. It says this. It says, be kind and compassionate to each other. Forgiving each other as God, in Christ, has forgiven you. Hurting people hurt people. It's just the way it is. And forgiving people forgive others. And we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. The Lord's table says something about me. And it says something about Jesus. It tells me that Jesus came in human flesh, lived a perfect life, went to Calvary's cross after having his body broken, shed his blood because the wages of my sin is death. And he did this so that he might bring me into fellowship and relationship with him forever and for free. He loved enemies at the cross. What does the Lord's table say about me? It should say, according to God's word, that I have trusted in the cross work of Christ for my saving. That I have been forgiven for all of my ill will, for all of my brokenness, for all of the pain that I've inflicted on others. His body was broken and His blood was shed for my forgiveness. And it also says that I am trusting in Christ's work alone for my salvation. That I know Him that I am trusting Him, that I believe Him, and that I am seeking to obey and follow Him with all of my heart. Interesting text in light of this uh, discussion. Matthew 5. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled. And then come and offer your gift. Paul says something similar to that in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? He said, first, before you take the cup, examine yourself. And if you find something you need to address, you make that right with God in your heart right now. If it's something you need to confess to God, a wound, a a, a damage, an injury, or ill will in response to being wounded, you may need to go to God quietly this morning and say, okay, God, you got me. Before I eat that bread and before I drink that cup, following God's command, I must first examine myself, a serious look into my heart. This is what I encourage you to do this morning. If there's ill will, a desire to damage. You need to confess that to God. First, because it's dangerous. Secondly, because it keeps you from His grace that you and I desperately need on a daily basis. His favor, His blessing. So I would encourage you as the elements are passed out, bow your head, look at your heart. If you find something you need to deal with, confess it to God. And that a proclamation of your personal faith and trust in Jesus... Eat that bread and drink that cup. And Jesus said, every time you do that, you are proclaiming, you are preaching my death until I come. Let's do this together. Father, bless your word to our hearts and bless the Lord's table to our hearts. Let us feast on grace. Let us feast on the work of Christ and rejoice together in this communion service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: It's beautiful. From 1 Corinthians, Paul said this, I received from the Lord what I deliver to you, that the Lord on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you eat with me? In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink with me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, this communion service is not a work that we do. It's a gift of your grace. It reminds us of the gracious work that your son did for us on the cross. Father, this communion service is also a promise. It's you continuing to promise us that your son's death is good for everything that we will ever need to be forgiven and free. One event one time in history changed everything for us. I praise you for that. I thank you for the communion service, which is not something that we do individually, but we do as a group. We do it in community. I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in fellowship with one another, even as we heard this morning, Father. I pray that even with the brokenness within us and the brokenness that can happen in our relationships, remind us of the grace, the reconciling grace that reconciled us to yourself. Help us to be willing to be reconciled to each other. By your grace and for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you uh, stand with me as we close in our benediction this evening, this morning? In Hebrews chapter 12, I thought this went well with Pastor Tim's message. It says this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that may do the will of God, according to that is in us, which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, be blessed. Have a wonderful week.